Three, two, one. Got him. There they go. No, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. Yep. How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Denver Broncos select Von Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted when you to got make- all the advantages. Welcome back to the Aggie War Pod. I am co-host Mike Craven, senior writer at Dave Campbell's Texas Football, joined as always by Fighting Texas Aggie, former defensive lineman Jay Arnold. Uh, after the 4th of July, we're recording this on the 5th. Jay, you had a big trip, uh, river rafting, r- river floating maybe is the better way to way to put that, uh, over the weekend. What, uh, what, I'm not a river floater guy. Uh, this won't shock anybody being about in a bunch of heat, drinking beer. Just not my not my cup of tea. When's the last time you had done that? Uh, so this weekend that we go and we have a buddy who lives in Seguin and we kind of use that as a base of operations. Uh, they've been doing this for a while, but the last time I went was in, in 2021. So two years ago. And uh, it's a good time. Uh, like you said, uh, sometimes the heat can be a little much, so got a little bit of a, a little bit of a sunburn, even though I applied and reapplied and reapplied. Uh, I guess there's only so much you can do when you're, when you're out in the sun for extended periods of time. Uh, even, even if you do plan ahead, but, uh, it's, I enjoy it. It's always a good time. Kind of, uh, try to make it relaxing. Sometimes some of the you know, circumstances surrounding you on the river aren't necessarily mm-hmm. relaxing, but, uh, we we had a good time, and I mean, three rivers in three days was a little bit tiring, but it, it was a good time. I went two or three times when I was in college. Somebody I was with or myself ended up in jail every single time that we went, and so I just decided no more, no moss. <laughs> Going to throw in the towel there. I uh, I have a hard time being around a bunch of idiots. You know, I, I have a hard time keeping my mouth shut, and sometimes that gets me <clears throat> into some trouble I probably shouldn't be in. So. Uh, kind of sworn off the river, and I don't drink anymore. And I feel like that's that's eighty percent of the fun uh, of floating the river. You do that sober, you might as well just be in your bathtub. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so on this, so I, on, sorry, go ahead. The, the Comal was the my uh, was my draw at at being the designated driver. So that one was the one I did sober, but it's also the shortest of the three. That was strategic. Uh, it was strategic on my part for sure. Strategery, love it. Uh, on this episode, we're going to discuss the, the recently published DCTF magazine. For, for those people out there, it should start trickling into brick-and-mortar stores this week, next week at the latest. If you're a subscriber, you should already have one or have one at least in the mail headed your way. We'll kind of talk about that, specifically kind of what, what I wrote about the Aggies. We'll also discuss the All-Texas teams, uh, recent recruiting success for Texas A&M. And uh, we asked for some questions on Twitter. We got two or three uh, that were pretty good, so we'll talk about those uh, towards the end of the episode. Before we get going, uh, please visit our our subscribers or our uh, first advertisers at Homefield Apparel. Uh, if you use the code WHOOP, W-H-O-O-P, uh, you get 15% off as, as a first-time uh, order, 10% off after that. So so use that use that promo code. Uh, get you some cheap shirts that are really nice. They had an A&M line not too long ago. I think Notre Dame is coming out pretty soon, which I know is a big one for them. Penn State as well. Uh, and so you don't have to just get team-specific stuff. You can use that WHOOP 
a promo code if you're ordering a Tulane shirt or you know whatever whatever you want in there. Where do you? So I I am just now getting on the train of I can wear shirts that I didn't go to school at. Like for a very long time, like I'm not a jersey wearer. You won't ever see me with another man's name on my back. Uh, and then the other thing you won't you never saw me. I wasn't going to wear a UT shirt if I didn't go to UT. I wasn't going to wear a Texas Tech shirt uh, if I didn't go to Texas Tech. I think home field is kind of breaking that. The breaking that barrier, uh, if you will. Are you? Do you have any strong stances about that, or are you a little bit less curmudgeon than I am? <laughs> yeah. So I, because of home field, really, and doing the uh, big new Saturday subscriptions in the past, I have a ton of college apparel that is not A and M related. Uh, some of my favorites are are kind of the brands like Hawaii. Like I love yeah. the Hawaii stuff that home field has uh, Colorado school. Of the mines was blaster. The borough. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are some really fun things. And uh, you know, my mindset on not wearing schools that you didn't attend. I think you're, you're okay to wear it if you didn't attend it and you're attending a game at some place. What makes me really upset is when somebody wears a Jersey or a shirt for a team that's not playing in the game. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I, like, I never understood it. Never understood it. I, I get, you know, if you're a Longhorn and and there's, we always say that there's always one, right? Uh, Texas isn't playing in in College Station, but there's always somebody that shows up wearing Longhorn gear. Uh, when I go to visit places, I either wear the gear of one of the schools that's playing, or I go neutral and wear like black or white. Yeah, uh, I just think that's the the best way to go about it. I do like I don't mind if it's a fictional team. So like if I see somebody in a Bobby Boucher jersey at a game, I'm okay with that. That's yeah. funny. Uh, but if a team isn't playing, I'm of the opinion that you shouldn't wear their apparel or gear there. Do you have a team that you will not ever under any circumstance uh wear a shirt for? Mine is North Texas. Ohio State is okay. mine. Yeah. Even though uh, you know, they had a kid from from Rockwall. Uh, go to Ohio State, and I was supporting him. I couldn't bring myself to wear Ohio State gear. Of course, I'm talking about Jackson Smith Jigba, uh, who's now gone on to do good things in the NFL. But uh, as much as I rooted for him, I still just couldn't bring myself to root for uh, Ohio State. So you're a Michigan man in that rivalry. <laughs> if I had to pick one, it would be Michigan, but uh, there's other t- for sure. Mine is North Texas, and it's not it's not because I dislike North Texas at all. I, I really love their SID. Both of the coaches that I've covered since I've been in this job at North Texas have been great. Uh, it's the fans on Twitter. They think I hate North Texas because I went to UTSA. And so anytime UTSA gets more love than North Texas, I become a homer, and I get just absolutely crushed in my Twitter mentions in a way that even the Aggies never get into my Twitter mentions and just completely crush me. And I just don't know how to explain that. Like you have to care about something before you can hate it. And like when I was at UTSA, there wasn't football. So I I don't bring any of these like huge rivalry things into the fold or whatever. Like I hope North Texas goes and wins a national championship. They're in the state. I can go cover them, but their Twitter fan base, which I know is a bad way to look at a fan base. Cause a lot of times they're not even real fans and stuff, but Man, that the North Texas Twitter Twitter people just just crush me, just crush me on a weekly basis. That makes it makes it very hard to get behind uh, wearing any Go Mean Green uh, apparel. But maybe that will be fixed uh, sooner rather than later. Let's jump into uh, some magazine talk, right? Like uh, as I mentioned, 
you know, kind of the biggest thing we do at Dave Campbell's is still that summer magazine. I joke with people that, you know, back in the day we were 80% magazine, 20% online. And, and sometimes we, we like to pretend that, that now we're 20% magazine and 80% online. Uh, but it's still kind of the bread and butter of Dave Campbell's. It's what everybody knows us for, for it's, uh, why I put out, you know, what I do during April and May, it takes up a lot of my time. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the A&M section with Jay Arnold, and I want you to tell me what you agree or disagree with. So we'll start with the overall record, because that's kind of where the first thing that everybody looks at, I believe, is. And I have Texas A&M at eight and four with losses. Let me get this right. Losses to Alabama, at Tennessee, at Ole Miss, and at LSU. So that means I, I have AM starting one, two, three. I have AM starting five and oh. I think they're going to come out of the gates pretty strong uh, and start five and oh. Kind of where do you stand on e- either the overall record or, you know, any of those games, I guess? Yeah, I think, uh, again, this is going to be something that oscillates as the season goes on and different things happen and we hear different things out of camp. But uh, we've talked about it and I think eight is a pretty good number for AM. Uh, eight wins, that is. Uh, we, we've looked at like the aspect of, you know, AM has a lot coming back, but there's a lot of improvement needed uh, offensively, especially, uh, but then the defense as well uh, against the run. So it, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how, how everything shakes out. But I think we've generally been in agreement that seven, eight wins is where it's at. And then Vegas has the seven and a half as the uh, over under for the season for the Aggies. I'm erring on the side of the over and uh, eight losses that you brought up, I think uh, is, is, is a pretty good guess for how the season's going to go. I think Texas A&M is better than Tennessee, especially with what Tennessee has lost. But pay, playing at Naylor, like that's a tough place to go. You know, there's going to be 105,000 people there. I was just in Knoxville like two weeks ago. Uh, it's really cool that you can like drive your boat up to the stadium. Like, this is a really awesome uh, setup they have in Tennessee. Just going on the road and winning games in the SEC is so tough. Uh, that that for me, that's where you know Alabama feels like, yeah, I mean, AM could beat Alabama. We saw AM beat Alabama two years ago when they weren't supposed to beat Alabama. It tends to be when Jimbo coaches maybe his best game of the year, right? Is when he's playing against Nick Saban in Alabama. But it's hard to predict that. And so Alabama feels like the the real uh home loss that's gonna happen. And then we could argue about some of the other ones. Is there one of those teams? Is is Tennessee maybe the the one that you think is the most likely upset of the ones I listed as a potential loss? I think Tennessee probably is, and there, there's again, like you said, Tennessee lost a lot. Uh, you also look at the fact that Tennessee and A and M maybe don't have the history of some of the other Tennessee opponents, uh, and the fact that you know A and M catches Tennessee the week before Tennessee plays Bama. Yeah, uh, and I think that's going to be a game that's circled on a lot of people's calendars. Uh, Tennessee included. Alabama is obviously going to be out for blood in that one, wanting to get revenge. Uh, so maybe it's a situation where Tennessee looks ahead a little bit, uh, especially if AM's coming off a loss uh, to Bama, which I think is the the week before they play at Tennessee. Uh, but it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how things shake out. I think Ole Miss, there's some questions there, uh, you know, especially with the quarterback room and, and how stable that's going to be. Obviously, there's a lot of talent in that quarterback room, but you have to wonder if there's a case of maybe too many cooks. Uh, Alabama, I think, has some questions, but Alabama always has questions. Uh, and then the season starts, and Alabama is still Alabama. So that's uh, kind of one thing that I look at where 
Maybe. And then LSU, the one thing I will say about LSU is it does feel like AM's due for a win in Death Valley at some point. Uh, I just don't know if that's this year. I really need to get to a game out there. I, I always, <clears throat> I think I'm a pretty literal person. And so when I got this job in my head, I'm like, I'm the Texas college football writer. I, I won't say Texpert because that's Sam Khan's thing, but like I see it as like, a person who's supposed to live inside the state. And it never dawned on me that I could like go watch a team from the state play on the road. Yeah. You know, like my boss, like a couple of weeks ago was like, where are you going week two? There's like a whole lot. Of, Cause like week two in the state's insane. Uh, yeah. Oregon's at tech. Um, Texas is at Alabama. A&M's at Miami. I feel like I'm forgetting and Baylor's hosting Utah. And my boss is like, where are you going to go? Are you going to Tuscaloosa? And it, it dawned on me in that conversation that I could like fly somewhere. You know, I fly yeah. to Oregon or El Paso. It's probably cheaper uh, to fly <laughs> uh, to a lot of other places. So I may try to mix in uh, some more road games outside of the state. Cause I think that's the hole in my college football experience. I haven't been to a lot of the stadiums outside of Texas. I've been to all 12, uh, FBS teams in the state. I'll go to a Sam Houston game this year, so that'll make it 13. Uh, but I have not been to a ton of of, of the uh, stadiums outside the state. I need to do that to broaden my horizons a little bit. Yeah, and like for me, I mean, I've been to uh, by nature of playing a few out of state stadiums. Uh, there's been a few in state stadiums that I've been to. Uh, that there's some others that I need to cross off. Uh, like I haven't been to UTEP. I, I really want to go see a, a game at the Sun Bowl. Uh, you know, there's a uh, UTSA I've heard is a little bit of an underrated atmosphere. It is. Uh, it is I'm a good, have, it's a good atmosphere. I'm going to go have to see Texas state, especially now with, uh, with coach DJ Kenny on staff there. Uh, and then, you know, the, the DFW schools I've been to games for North Texas and, and SMU and, and TCU, uh, Texas, I've been to a couple of times now. Uh, A&M, obviously, I've been to once or twice. Uh, and then there's the experiences out of state are always fun just because it's a different. It just feels like a different place that you're going to. Yeah. LSU is one of my favorite places to go to. Uh, and I had a blast last year when I went to West Virginia. And I'm really, really looking forward to the whiteout this year. Uh, but, you know, it's there's so much football out there to see. So, uh you know, I think uh, it'd be nice if you got to take advantage of the fact that uh, some of the Texas schools are playing out of state. And then the other part of the magazine that I feel, and it, you know, I, I hope everybody goes and reads the, uh, the overall preview, the offensive preview, the defensive preview. Uh, the player spotlight is on Anaya Smith. I had a really good time sitting down and talking to him and writing that story. The other part, though, that I think a lot of people pay attention to is the all-state teams, the, the all-state college teams. And this is where... I where it really solidifies in my mind how talented Texas A&M is compared to how good I think that they're going to be. I can admit that I believe it's it's more likely A&M is 7 and 5 than 9 and 3. And so I just I still have a hard time seeing A&M just fix it from 5 and 7 to you get those 30 guys out of the locker room and everything's hunky dory and Bobby Petrino's going to come in and it's going to be fine. Like I just don't I just don't see it, right? I don't think a nine and three, 10 and two season is going to happen, even though I think that they have the talent to do so. And the reason I think they have the talent to do so is I put together the all state college teams. Like that's a, that's a me joint, right? Like that's, that's something I'm doing all by myself. And I have Texas A&M tied with TCU, the defending runner up of the nation and Texas, who, you know, I think is the favorite to win the big 12 uh, tied with eight players apiece uh, on that list. They, the A&M is tied for the lead 
uh, with most players on the list. Evan Stewart and Anaya Smith are on the first team on the offense. Uh, Bryce Foster, Donovan Green, Layden Robinson on the second team offense. Uh, McKinley Jackson, Damani Richardson on the first team defense, and then Tyreek Chappelle uh, on the second team defense. So, you know, pretty much at every single spot across the whole field, offensive line, secondary, uh, defensive lineman at the wide receiver, there are talented, talented players at Texas A&M. Did I leave somebody? Like, is there somebody who, like, jumps out to you as, like, when we do this in the postseason, he's going to be on there, and I just left him out? Well, me being a specialist guy, I would say Nick Constantino. Uh, but that's, yeah, that's a know. fair point. He was number three. He was number three. I I, I don't know anything <laughs> about punting, so I went by average punt. I went I went to uh, CFBStats.com, went to punting, looked up their average punt yards, and then I just picked the two with the most because like I don't know how else to to isolate that thing. Yeah, and it's I feel like your job is especially tough with the transfers and how that works now oh just to gosh. keep track of everything and, and see who's going to be where, uh, you know, I think it's, again, this is just tough. So like I could nitpick and say, you know, maybe a guy like Bryce Anderson should be yeah. uh, on that list, but it's, there's so much talent in the state of Texas as a whole. Uh, you know, if I look at the tight end spot with Donovan green, like obviously he's on their second team and I have, a, I have, trouble uh ranking him over over sanders so like i think two is a good spot for him uh I'm, i mean you know it's it's uh it's a tough job and i uh especially if you're doing it as one guy like that's to do what i think is a fantastic look at the state as a whole uh you know i just gotta say i'm impressed with you mike Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And the hard part <laughs> is, the hard part is, is we have 13 FBS teams and I try to get at least one player on the list. Yeah. You know, and so like, I totally understand that like Fidel Diggs can have a bigger season than Markel Perry at Sam Houston. And I totally understand that Shamar Stewart is a better defensive end than Markel Perry is at Sam Houston. However, I think Markel Perry may have a bigger year at Sam Houston than any of those guys have Texas A&M. And so you're, you're kind of playing that game as well, where it's not a draft board. It's not just like overall best talent. And I try not to put a lot of transfers in there because I don't want it to be a projection of my opinion. I try to lean more on returning production, what you've done, and I can point to it and go, well, that guy's had 60 tackles. I'm not going to put them in front of a dude that had 20 last year just because I think that dude is better. It's not a my opinion list. It's a returning production list. So I kind of rely on that a little bit to give me to give me an out when people start yelling at me. But it's my favorite thing that I do. Like all of the team previews, the cover story, all that stuff's fun. Uh, in my heart of hearts, I want to be a GM. Like if I if if I was 20 years old now, I wouldn't have gone into journalism. I would have gone into like college scouting because like that's a real thing now on college campuses. Like there is a scouting department. Uh, there's guys that are player personnels and general managers and stuff, college football. I would have done that. Uh, so putting together the all Texas team is, is probably my favorite thing to do. Uh, but I also duck and hide because I know I'm going to leave off really, really <laughs> good players. Uh, and then every coach gets mad at me. Every single one, the ones that have the most players get mad at me because I overhyped them. And then the ones that don't have enough players get mad at me because I'm underrating them, you know? And so it's a, it's a no win situation, but it's a lot of fun to do. Yeah. It feels like roster management in a way. So I can definitely see yeah. why uh, this would be enjoyable, but yeah, it's uh 
you're always going to have people yelling about one thing or another. And, uh, especially with the amount of roster turnover, it's, it's just hard to make a list like this. So, uh, you know, it's the, again, you're, you're, you're going to just make a lot of people mad because there's only so many spots. And with, like you said, there's 13 FBS teams in the state. That's, uh, it's a lot of players to pick and choose from. Yeah. A whole lot of players to, to pick and choose from for sure. Um, yeah, by team, it, it's got Texas, Texas A&M, and TCU at eight. Uh, UTSA is leading the G5 ranks with seven. Uh, then Tech with five, Baylor with three, Houston with two, SMU three, uh, Rice, Sam Houston, Texas State one. Uh, UTEP got two. One of that's because that's their punter, Joshua Sloan. Um, and so, yeah, uh, we're excited to get it out there. I kind of have mixed feelings about the magazine. I don't know if you feel this way about big projects or whatever, you're like very excited to get them done. You're very proud of the work that it took. I'm very honored to be a part of Dave Campbell's Texas football as somebody who grew up in the state and was able to read it and, you know, worship Dave Campbell as a person and a mentor. However, man, when people start getting those magazines, my stomach starts rolling because like, I'm always like, did I mess something up? Did I spell a name wrong? Like, did we get a title wrong? Did I put A&M section in Texas is or something? Cause there's just, you know, there's 500 pages in the magazine. It just all runs together after yeah. a while. Um, so, so far, so good. Uh, I encourage everybody who's listening uh, to go ma- buy a magazine. Uh, help me stay employed at least for one more year. Getting married next year. So need to need to keep the paycheck up as much as I can. Um, so, yeah, we'll move on from there um, and go talk about kind of the recent recruiting success. I think that's been the biggest storyline for Texas A&M. Uh, over the last couple of weeks since we last uh, recorded a podcast, Cameron Coleman, five-star wide receiver uh, from Alabama, 6'3", 180 pounds, third best wide receiver in the country, according to 24-7, the 11th best recruit in the entire nation, according to 24-7. And then more importantly, in my mind, the best player in Alabama, according to 24-7, to get them out of, to get Coleman away from Nick Saban, away from Auburn and all the other SEC schools to come to A&M after a five and seven season. That's just a tremendous amount of recruiting right there. Draylon Miller, uh, four-star wide receiver uh, from Silsby, uh, not too far from College Station, uh, 62nd best player uh, in the nation. Um, Weston Davis, offensive tackle uh, for Beaumont United, also in that mix. Um, And so, you know, we we have a lot. Who else? Ty Anthony Smith, a linebacker from Jasper. Uh, you know, so what was that for? Uh, I feel like I'm forgetting one more. Yeah, Jalen Hornsby. Jalen Hornsby, the, the commit out of New Jersey, uh, which you no, know, usually I think of like as like a Penn State territory or not like those Big Ten schools pull from New Jersey. I feel like pretty heavily, and feels like uh, you know, obviously with uh, some of the talent uh that A&M's been able to get out of that part of the country recently is uh is a big part of having e-rob on staff i think but uh yeah no doubt no you know doubt. it's uh i think we talked about this a little bit before we started recording getting uh that many highly rated receivers uh you know with perhaps receiver being the one position on the offense where uh i think a lot of schools have probably focused some negative recruiting tactics as far as saying hey look at you know, you look at what Jimbo Fisher's receivers have done in the past, and it hasn't been a really productive uh, area in this offense. So uh, being able to do that is obviously a, a pretty big, uh, you know, perhaps uh, indication of maybe what Bobby Petrino's offense is going to bring to the table. 
Yeah, I mean, they got to feel pretty good about where they're moving, you know, at the quarterback position with the offensive uh, philosophy, or you wouldn't get these type of wide receivers to sign on, on the dotted line. And, and of course, like NIL plays a part, right? And AM has an advantage over a lot of teams uh, in the nation that way. But it's not the only reason these guys are coming, right? I mean, you're not, you're not going to make a, a lifetime decision over some money when the whole goal for these type of guys is to get in the NFL, which is a lot. That's the real NIL. You know, like getting getting to the NFL. So you want to go somewhere where you feel like you're going to be developed and produced. And as we just said, as Jay just said, wide receiver hasn't historically been that spot for Jimbo Fisher. We can go look up the draft numbers and, and what he's put into the NFL, and it, it's not a lot, you know. And so uh, to get those kind of guys is going to help change that. Evan Stewart's going to help change that. And Nye Smith is going to help change that. Like there's going to be some guys, Moose Muhammad, there's going to be some guys on this roster uh, that get drafted that start changing that perception uh, for AM. The other part, though, that I think is interesting, and you went through recruiting, the noise surrounding Jimbo Fisher's future. I think we can all agree that if he goes less than eight and four, if this is seven and five, six and six, five and seven again, Jimbo Fisher's probably not here next year uh how much as a recruit is that a huge part of where you're going just the stability of the coaching staff and how do you think AM is winning over these guys despite those noise and what i would imagine is negative recruiting from other other schools against them yeah i think uh, a lot of it i mean let's be honest here the nil probably helps some but Jimbo can still claim to be one of the only national championship coaches that's currently active. I think that's a part of it. Uh, you look at, you know, the facilities and everything that goes into that. Obviously, the uh, the fan base, there's a lot of, you know, intangibles that are going to allow AM to continue to recruit even during bad times. Uh, but, you know, stability is something that you got to think of as a recruit. And, uh, you know, obviously, when I was coming into AM, I, uh, it, it's, it's coach someone's first year really is when, uh, you know, when I started getting recruited by AM. Uh, so there's a little bit more stability usually when someone's a first year coach. And then obviously 2012 happened and there's a lot of stability for coach someone. Uh, but I think there's maybe some more factors, uh, that kids are okay with maybe a lack of stability. Uh, as far as the way the programs are situated now, I think with the transfer portal in particular, Bingo. you know, if, if, if you end up uh, at a place and a, and a coach gets fired, you, you get a free, you know, pass kind of out of there. So it's, uh, there's some factors that make it easier to, to swallow the stability aspect of the program right now with, with Jimbo Fisher's uh, seat being hot. I, you know, and that brings us to a completely different conversation that's not AM related, but I love it. And that's, you know, if I'm a 17 year old, 18 year old kid and I'm getting recruited by, let's say, three schools, and there's one that I really, really want to go to, there's one that I probably have the best success of winning football games, and then there's one that I'm going to get paid the most for, right? I personally, this is my 38-year-old brain that's a cynic and doesn't care about too many things, kind of a nihilist. I would go, I would go get the bag and then just transfer because then I'm going to get the bag twice. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to go, I'm going to go get paid by AM or Texas or USC or Miami, one of the one of the big payers out, right? I'm going to go there. And then if I really like it and I really enjoy it and I'm starting to play and I like the coach staff, I'm going to stay. 
But if not, I'm going to hold on to those other two places and then make a real decision after my first year on college. I'm wondering if that becomes more of a norm where it's like, all right, I'm going to go make a business decision early on, and then I'm going to go wherever I want to after that. And that may be the place I'm at. But if not, I can. I, I don't have to make a five-year, four-year decision. All I got to do is make a one-semester decision, basically. Maybe a two-semester s- decision if I'm going to enroll early. Uh, I just wonder if that's changed the dynamics of recruiting. Not just I know it has for the coaches, but I wonder if it has for the players yet. If they're if they're on that track yet. Yeah, and I mean, sometimes it can be hard to make those kind of decisions as a 17 year old. Sure. Obviously, you know, there's a uh, some development that goes on, not just physically, but also mentally. Uh, but yeah, I, I could blame kids for doing that, right? Like you look at it and you have a very short window to capitalize on your body and uh, be able to do the things that you need to do to make money. And if I'm, if I'm a kid, I'm definitely thinking like you say, like I'm looking at the money and, you know, securing a little bit for after college. And then uh, if I still like the place that I'm at, then I'm staying. And if not, then I'm not. Uh, but I do think one thing in all of this is, you know, even in, in business, you, you work with people that you trust, right? And I still think that you have to have a coaching staff that you believe in and, and that believes in you in turn. There's a little bit of mutual trust that has to be there for, th- for things to work out. Uh, and <clears throat> with that in mind, I think it's, you know, that, that's why I say there's not just NIL going into these decisions. And I, I think you would agree that there's, so many factors that go into a kid making this decision with, with so much pressure on them, uh, especially as a, as a teenager coming out of high school, uh, knowing how much it affects your future. That uh, That's why I like to give the kids a little bit of a leniency. Like If they did make a decision for purely NIL reasons, I have no fault with that at all. And uh, they can always change their mind after the fact. But like you said, I mean, I do think the transfer portal allows for that type of decision where you're almost testing the waters in your first year. And we all, I, I, what I hate is the high and mightiness of this stuff. Like where it's like, Oh, you should pick a school because you love it or whatever. And it's like, maybe you should math student, you know, but this guy is like trying to play football and like go live a life and make some money and maybe capitalize on his biggest earning potential years of his life. And uh, maybe go play in the NFL, which is like millions of dollars of NIL money. If you get developed that way and stuff. So I, I just think it's fan. Cause I'm one too, right. Where it's like, I love my university. Why don't you love my university? It's like, cause they're a football player. They're a hired gun. Like that's just what it is. You hope that they grow to love your university, but you're a perfect example of this. You mentioned all the time that you were an Oklahoma Sooner fan. You didn't like die to go to A&M. You weren't like, just, you know, like your whole, when you were seven, there's not pictures of you, you know, wearing Aggies, but you grew to love A&M as you were there and the experience. And now it's your school. And I think that's probably more true uh, for the average football player than, man, I was four years old and I've always wanted to play at Notre Dame. And now I'm going to play at Notre Dame. Like that's, that's silly. Like we don't do that in business. We don't do that in work. You know, I left the Austin American Statesman and I grew, I read that my whole life. Like that was, that was it. That was it for me. Right. I, my whole goal is like, I'm going to be Kirk Bowles. Like I'm going to, I'm just going to be a columnist at the Austin American Statesman. Uh, but then, you know, things change, stuff happens. You get more money, you know, you get, yeah. you get, you get enticed in other ways. Uh, and your dreams start to change as you get older and stuff. So I'm with you, man. I think we're just way too hard on these kids. But I do wonder, you know, as agents get involved and how as, a, as adults get involved and smarter and smarter business people get involved, if there is kind of this like idea of like, well, that first year is just to go get paid because your biggest earning opportunity is probably out of high school. 
Because once you're in college, you know, there's there's tape, your potential's not maybe what it was. Like, oh, some you can get injured. There's so many things that can take away your earning power. But going to that college the first time is maybe the most that you'll ever make. You might as well go to a place that that can give you the most and then figure out if you like it or figure out the transfer portal. Cause if you're, you know, if you're a five-star wide receiver, you know, if if Cameron Coleman comes to AM for 2024 and Jimbo Fisher's gone after that year, he no skin off his back, right? He can just get into the portal and go make, you know, some hundred thousand dollars going somewhere else or whatever. So um, good on AM for using their advantages that they have. Uh, but it's just it's it's so hard to build a roster right now. And it's so hard to look at these recruiting rankings and like get anything out of it because you just got to go back two years and like half of them aren't even there. You know, so it's like it's like we spend all this time declaring this team the recruiting national champion and all, you know, and it's like, well, I mean, who knows? Like, let's let's go back in three years and see if, if those guys are still even on the roster. So uh, definitely an interesting time to put together a magazine. That is for sure. <laughs> you have no idea who's sticking around. No idea who's not. Today, Rice's best receiver jumped into the portal. Today, July yeah. 5th, you know, so, you know, who knows, man? Who Who knows? Um, so, yeah, that's recruiting. Uh, big, big, big week, week and a half for Texas A&M on the recruiting trail. They're up to 16 commits, uh, ranked ninth overall uh, in the country. They're going to sign another top 10 class, right? Maybe even a top five class, the way this thing looks like it's going. Texas is going to be on the same the same deal, right? And I, I said this on Twitter the other day, and I, I meant it, and I know it's going to sound crazy to some. That first Texas versus Texas A&M game in 2024 – is going to be the most combined talent on a field ever between Texas and Texas A&M. Ever. Yeah, and it's it's just like you always knew that both Texas and Texas A&M were going to recruit very well in the NIL era. Like there was no way either of those schools was going to was going to struggle, but it's it's still been something to see how that talent comes together and I mean me personally, I just kind of hope both of them have really good seasons in 2023. And that way, you know, when 2024 rolls around, uh, that game is going to be something truly special. Yeah. I mean, if it's like a, a nine and two versus nine and two Texas versus Texas AM, and remember that playoff is expanding. If you go nine and three, especially if you go 10 and two in the SEC, you're making the playoffs. So that, that game, especially if they do it the last week of the year and Thanksgiving, like that game could be a playoff decider between Texas and Texas A&M. You got Evan Stewart going up against Malik Muhammad. You got DJ Campbell trying to block DJ Hicks. You got maybe Arch Manning at quarterback going against that talented defensive line at Texas A&M. Like the matchups, as a Texas high school football nerd who loves recruiting, the matchups are potentially just out of this world. It's going to be a whole, whole, whole lot of fun. I forgot what we were going to do next. (laughs) We have the mailbag. We have the mailbag. Kind of. We have the mailbag, kind of. Let me get yeah. on. Let me get on the Twitters. On Twitter. And, hopefully and, it's loading, uh, right? <laughs> and get this. Yeah. Hopefully my dad, hopefully uh, I have not uh, exceeded my my limit here. Um, let's start off with a fun one. Uh, my dude, Evan, uh, he's the he's a co-host uh, of Between Two Bears, also on the Republic of Football podcast. I think you were on a podcast with them, right? Slander you or something. Yeah. Uh, uh, Those dudes are absolutely insane. And I love them. And I mean that with like all of the compliment in the world, just absolutely, absolutely insane. Would not think that they went to Baylor university. I don't know how they survived uh, in that climate without getting kicked out (laughs) Uh, or, but, but to each their own, he goes, uh, do you think Jimbo will put Sark in a Cobra clutch next fall? First of all, 
do we even think Jimbo's going to be here next fall? That's the first question. Yeah. Uh, so if eight and four is the accurate p- uh, prediction from Dave Campbell's uh, and from myself as well, uh, then I think he's still on staff. I think he's still the head coach. Uh, as for putting Sark in the Cobra clutch next fall in 2024, uh, look, that is going to be, that's too far ahead. We don't know how far the, the rosters are going to change. Uh, I think A&M obviously having home field advantage is going to make that place. I mean, we know that environment's going to be electric no matter what, even if A&M doesn't win a single game before that in the, the in the season, uh, we know that Kyle field is going to be uh, a very, very, very fun place to be uh, come that first game in 2024. Hopefully it's, it's you know, around Thanksgiving. We'll see if uh, the SEC sees fit to schedule it that way. But uh, I think that that home field advantage is going to present some real problems for Texas. Uh, you look at the games that Texas plays in the Big 12, uh, and obviously they're going to have some places they have to go to once they get to the SEC that are intimidating. But I look at, at Texas's schedule in the Big 12, and there's just like – there's not places like a, a Death Valley or a, a Kyle Field. They don't go to Norman. I mean, they play Norman in the Cotton Bowl, so that would be probably, I would assume, the the closest – you know, volume experience as tech. far as loud stadium. Tech, tech, uh, tech at night is about as close as Texas gets to a real, real rowdy crowd. And that only holds 55 to 60,000 people. Yeah. Which, I mean, don't get me wrong. Those 55 to 60,000 people can still make a difference. Yeah. I think uh, West Virginia is good, which they haven't been, unfortunately, in the Big 12, except for a handful of times. Uh, West Virginia is another place that can can affect people, but I think A&M is going to be just turned up to a certain a, a level that, that Texas just hasn't experienced in a while uh, that I think that's going to be a, a pretty stout place to play. Although I will say, I mean, obviously Texas does play at Bama this year, so that could be a good primer for them. As we talked about on this podcast, I just need a seat in the press box. Like the, my only goal for the next 18 months is to kiss up to Alan Cannon at, at Texas A&M to the point where he – he definitely is like, yes, you can you can have a seat. Because I'm worried they're going to give 15 passes to ESPN, 14 to The Athletic, nine to like whoever covers AM on a regular basis. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm going to get locked out. Um, but yeah, that's going to be that's going to be an all-timer, man. That's going to be, I'd imagine, and this hasn't even happened yet. It's going to be a top five college football experience of my lifetime, that game. Like it's it's going to be just that iconic of an atmosphere. If the talent's what we think it's, it is, if the, if the results are what we think that they're going to be and that game could be, you know, this is hyperbole and, and, and stuff, but I, I think that game could be the most consequential game of the rivalry. You know, like it, it's, it could be a decider for a playoff game. It could be that it could be Sark or Jimbo playing for their jobs. You know what I mean? Like there could be so many storylines uh, going in there. I'm glad it's in Kyle field because that home field is a better home field than at DKR, it just is, you know? And so like, I'm glad it's going to be there first. Uh, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a really, really good game. Uh, who would you, before we move on though, if you had to pick it, who's the better coach right now? I think Jimbo is. Yeah, uh, I do too. I mean, just from the highs that, that Jimbo has had, uh, I think the highs are, are better for Jimbo than Sark has done in either Washington or uh, USC or Texas to this point. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think Sark has a lot of potential. I love his offense. He's a great play caller. He's 13 and 12 uh, at Texas. 
He's never won more than 10 games. He's never won 10 or more games in a season. He's never won a conference championship in, in, in a seat, right? As a head coach. And so until he can do uh, those things, it's the guy with the national championship ring, even if he's easy to make fun of these days, right? Even if he's kind of a punchline at times on the national level these days, Jimbo Fisher's still a national championship coach who went nine and one in 2020 against an SEC team, but he's done it. And so uh, we're going to have to see Sark do it. Uh, before we can just say, well, they're really talented. And so like, man, so we'll, we'll see if, if the Longhorns can live up to hype this year. And then that conversation maybe gets a little bit closer uh, after the year. Uh, the next one that was on there that I thought was pretty cool from uh, Tyler. He's a, at Wolf uh, Westar on Twitter. Uh, who's the most likely player on this year's offense roster to make it big in the pros? Um, I guess it doesn't have to be a draft eligible player. Just anybody on their roster right now that you think is going to have a big time NFL career? Yeah, I think uh, I think Walter Nolan is probably the, the obvious. It's on. Player. He's got to be on offense. Oh, on offense. Okay, that's whoops. Uh, Evan Stewart then is, is yeah. probably who I'd go with. Uh, I mean, you just look at some of the plays that he's able to make and uh, immediately transfers to the game of the NFL, especially now that you know. I think in the past. A lot of times they're going for those big six three, six four receivers. Uh, now I think there's a place for the smaller, quicker guys. And not that Evan Stewart is small uh, in the grand scheme of things, but I mean just comparatively uh, to, to some, maybe the receivers of the past. I think yeah. he's just a natural fit in these offenses. He get, gets in and out of his breaks really well. Uh, and, and when he gets to the NFL, I think he's going to be a, a real factor uh, for, for any team that picks him up. But defensively, obviously, you have my answer. <laughs> yeah, Walter Nolan, Walter Nolan on the other side. Yeah, I think what makes Evan Stewart remarkable is he can play X, Y, or Z at the NFL yeah. level. Like he can play anywhere that you want him to. You know, positionless football is becoming the buzzword at the NFL level. I think Evan Stewart. You know, maybe he's not Debo Samuel's. He's not going to be a running back. He's not big enough. Uh, maybe to handle that load, but he can be a weapon that's utilized in so many different ways in offense, especially if you got him with like a Mike McDaniel or somebody who can like really get creative with how they use uh, their wide receivers. I'm excited about him. Since you took Evan Stewart, I may go Donovan Green. You know, yeah. this this may be proximity bias because like, you know, we just saw what Travis Kelsey did in, in the Super Bowl and what he does for Kansas City Chiefs. But tight end is back, guys. Like tight end is a real big time position again. Everybody went out wide. Everybody went spread. All the defenses adjusted and got really small to the point where now you can find an advantage back again with that big bodied wide receiver. He will be a good enough blocker by the time he graduates from AM to, to be an inline player at the NFL level. And he's basically another wide receiver. Like he is excellent uh, as a route runner. His hands are, are phenomenal. Uh, I'm a huge Donovan Green fan. Some of this is I loved him at Dickinson. I was on the recruiting trail back then, very high on him, had him really high on the Fab 55, but I think he's gonna gonna do really well there. I wanted to ask you as a defensive lineman who knows a lot about offensive line because you got to face those guys. Who do you think has the better NFL profile? You know, a Layden Robinson or a Bryce Foster? I mean, that's tough. Uh, so the thing about Bryce Foster, especially like him being a center, I think that brings some utility and mm -hmm. that immediately makes NFL teams value a guy that can play center a little bit more. Uh, just because there's a cerebral aspect to the game uh, that I think being a center uh, naturally uh, kind of develops and 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 helps you transfer to uh, the league a little bit better. But I mean, Layden Robinson's a, a monster on the interior as well. Uh, so I think both of those guys, you know, bring certain aspects of their game. If I had to pick, I'd say Foster just because of how, uh, you know, how how much the center position just kind of. 
uh, opens up possibilities and gives you, uh, you know, the ability to shift along the offensive line a little bit more. Uh, but I mean, I think both those guys have a lot of potential. Do you think Foster can play guard at the NFL level if he has to? Absolutely. I think he's, okay. there's just, he has some natural strength about him that I think uh, is sometimes undervalued. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just one of the strongest players that I've ever seen. World-class shot putter. Yeah. And, you know, obviously uh, when he gets to the NFL, you know, you wonder if maybe him taking spring to to participate in track and field has uh, limited his, his growth a little bit. And if there isn't a little more potential to unlock. Uh, obviously, like I'm happy for him that he gets to participate in track and field because I think he enjoys shot put quite a bit. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad that he's getting to take advantage of that opportunity while he can in college. But, uh, you know, it's you can't help but wonder, hey, maybe there's a little bit more we can unlock, which would project even more on the NFL level. Yeah, I remember when he was going through the recruiting process, he spoke openly about having two dreams in his life, and that was to play NFL football and to throw shot at the Olympics. And he he wants to give both of those things a go. It's been nice to see him not have to give up on one of those dreams yet. I wonder if eventually that will have to happen. The money is so big in the NFL that maybe somebody gets into his ear since this is his third year at college and goes, hey, you know, if you really want to do this thing, if you want to go, you know, make generational wealth, you know, maybe we just put that shot put over to the side and we go do this. Uh, But I don't think he's somebody who's like motivated completely by money. You know, he's not from like a complete, you know, like a really impoverished background or something where he's got to like take care of his parents or his siblings. And so that gives you some flexibility and a little bit of privilege uh, that maybe some other, other folks do not uh, have before we move on, man, Katie Taylor, you're a Houston guy. Katie Taylor once had an offensive line with Bryce Foster, Hayden Connor, who's the starting left guard for the university of Texas and Andrew Coker, the starting right tackle for TCU on the same offensive line. Yeah. Just impressive murder ball. Imagine like watching film in between, you know, algebra and and IPC chemistry class or something like that. And you're like, I'm your defensive tackle who's like 5'11, 250 pounds or something. And like, those are the three guys you have to get just absolutely insane. I need to do a story on those three guys. Uh, really good friends. Um, really cool story. Uh, Dylan Gar at Dylan W. Gar on Twitter. Said, I need Jay's take on which of these three seminal country albums released on June 11th, 2013, uh, celebrating their 10th anniversaries, had the most influence on him personally and the genre in general. We got Jason Isbell's Southeastern, Sturgill Simpson's High Top Mountain, and John Moreland in the throes. Yeah, I love this question because uh, you, I'm you glad know one of us do. Yeah, I figured I figured this would be a J specific question, uh, with it being Americana country. <laughs> uh so in, in my opinion, Southeastern is probably on my Mount Rushmore of, of albums personally. Okay. As far as Jason Isbell, I think is one of the best songwriters of our generation. I think lyrically there's, you know, uh, he's not necessarily the happiest music to listen to. Uh, but I mean Jason Isbell dealing with, you know, all the, the struggles of addiction that he went through and, and being open about that. And then just kind of talking about the world as a whole, uh, what he's able to do as a songwriter and, and what he did in Southeastern has influenced me a lot personally. And it's probably had the biggest impact on me personally, as far as on the genre as a whole, I think high top mountain from Sergio Simpson, uh, had a huge impact in a way it got people listening to more, uh, grass, like more, more bluegrass influenced country. 
uh, it got away from kind of the Nashville sound for a lot of people. It, it was kind of a, an outlet that was needed uh, in, in the genre of country music. Uh, I don't think you get guys like Tyler Childers, who's a lot bigger now without Sturgill Simpson. Uh, it, it kind of shifted country music a little east to, to Appalachia, or at least Appalachian influences. Mm. Uh, and, and in that way, I think that even though Southeastern is, in my opinion, you know, one of the best albums of all time and, and on my Mount Rushmore of albums and, and has more of an impact on me personally, I think High Top Mountain may have had a bigger impact on the genre and uh, perhaps the listening habits of, uh, of country music fans. I do enjoy Chris Stapleton. So which of those three would you advise a newbie like me to kind of jump into? Who's the most palatable for an outsider? <laughs> Uh, that's tough because I mean Chris Stapleton has kind of a sound all his own uh, with that voice, yeah, uh, the, the power of that voice. Uh, Sturgill Simpson is the fellow Kentucky guy there. Uh, I think you know Sturgill's first two albums, uh, High Top Mountain, which we're talking about here, and then also Meta Modern Sounds and Country Music, uh, which was his follow up. I think that album in particular maybe gives you a little bit more of a of a stapleton vibe than than isbel or or moreland would uh and we haven't really talked about moreland he's the one i have the least experience with in the throws uh but i mean he's just another incredibly talented lyricist i'll say that uh you know isbel is probably i don't know is it isbel or isbel isbel okay well i didn't know that (laughs) <laughs> no it's uh it's he's like our bruce isbel is like the bruce springsteen of my generation's college football writer right like the generation before me freaking loves bruce springsteen in a way that doesn't make any sense it almost feels like a bit i feel like isbel is like my you know like i'm friends with ben baby i don't know if i'm allowed to say that on an aggie podcast i don't know what his reputation is <laughs> i within, like ben baby within that community but like i'm really good friends with ben and like he's a big isbo guy i feel like i see that name a lot in the uh college football circles yeah there's a a song called uh alabama pines alabama pine i'm and, gonna write that down and isbel mentions going to a small town called a uh, high school football game and one of the lines is these five A bastards run a shallow cross. <laughs> yeah, and... I'm in then. I'm in. I'm in right then. <laughs> uh you had me at good uh good songwriter who like, you know, overcame drug stuff, you know, like that's uh I should listen to it for that for that point alone. Anybody who can kind of come out of that darkness and 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 make light out of it is is somebody who kind of deserves adulation because that's a hard thing to do, man. It's not it's hard to come out of it. It's even harder to kind of talk about it and live it and and because uh, if you I think as somebody who's a recovering addict, who's honestly been two months away from nine years uh, clean, uh, I don't say sober. I say clean for a re- for a reason. You know, I, I don't do any narcotics anymore. Uh, but like. I think what writing about it, what talking about it, and I would imagine for him singing about it, it like it's, it's to spread the message message one and to help out anybody else who's listening who may not have the people to talk about it and, you know, stuff, but also it helps, it keeps you accountable, right? Cause like if everybody in your fan base knows that you've sung songs about it, you know, you can't slip back into that or they know that you slipped back into that, you know? And so uh, I'll have to check those three albums out. I'm in the road a lot. So I'm going to have to figure that stuff out. Now, Jay, we're almost there, man. Uh, SEC media days. 
uh, July, I think 17th through the 19th or 16th through the 18th, uh, something around there, 17th through the 20th. I forgot the SEC does like 30 days of uh, of media days, but we're almost there, man. And then after media days, we're like a month away um, from really, you know, practice being in full swing and, and, and games getting going. Um, what are you most looking forward to? until football season starts, right? Like, is there, what are, what do you got before then? The, the big vacation, uh, to New Mexico and Colorado is going to be the thing that gets me through. Uh, I tell you, one of the things I was looking forward to happen this weekend, uh, and I, I'm not just talking about go to the river, but seeing NASCAR race on the streets of Chicago was, uh, was a really fun treat, especially with, uh, Kiwi driver, uh, Shane Van Gisbergen, getting the win as uh in his first cup start his first time in one of these cup cars uh you know the wet streets of chicago and and he got to uh do what's been a really cool part of of the past few seasons this project 91 deal that Trackhouse racing has where they put uh drivers from other series into the car on road courses mm. uh it's been been kind of fun to watch that happen but uh yeah i mean as far as as what I have to look college football season gets underway. I have the big vacation to New Mexico and in Colorado. Uh, I have international fight week as a UFC fan is this week. So it's a big card in Las Vegas. Uh, you know, we have the, uh, the gold cup and the, the women's world cup for soccer going, going on. Uh, so there's, there's a few things that, uh, that are going to scratch my sports itch, uh, until college football gets here. More than I got going on. I got nothing. <laughs> this I I'm of the opinion that July is the worst month of the year. It's too hot. Um, there's no real sports going on. I'm, I'm I can't you can't sign me up for baseball regular season. It's not it's not here for it. I do like that the games are shorter, and I'll go to a game and enjoy it. I, I grew up a Braves fan because of TBS, um, but I just right now it just feels so boring and dead. I feel useless. You know, like I, I probably put too much of my identity into work. And so like right now it's like, man, what am I even doing? I'm just like hanging out. Yeah, it's college football is the overwhelming majority of my uh, personality in sports. But I do have yeah. UFC and, and and NASCAR to fall back on, thankfully, that are that are getting me through uh, the, the trying times of July. Yeah, I need a hobby because <laughs> my favorite thing to do outside of this is play golf, but it's too damn hot. Yeah. You know, and uh, like I could become like a five thirty in the morning golfer, but that's the reason I don't hunt. You know, I grew up in the country and I don't hunt. Like I don't want to be up at five o'clock in the morning to like watch deer. You know, that I may or may not be able to shoot or something. So, um, yeah, I need to find something because July is always hard for me. Um, July is a very very hard time. But we got media days coming up, coaching school, which you need to come hang out one night in Houston because it's in Houston this year. Uh, One night you need to come to one of the socials or whatever. Just all the coaches from the state, like not even college, just high school as well. Um, just from all over, because that's our final question on this Twitter Q and A. Uh, let me look up to see who sent it in here, um, so I don't I don't get it wrong. Hold on, hold on, hold on. James Holloway at J Holloway eighty three. How do how do we get Jay a coaching job? Yeah, the answer. Uh... <laughs> the answer. Show up to coaching school. Probably. I think that's uh. It's. I mean, just like any industry, it's all about who you know. So uh, I think uh, networking opportunities like that would be how I would get to a coaching job. Uh, although I will say that I 
am enjoying my current position, uh, my full-time position, uh, which revolves around sports still in a way. And they've given me the official, unofficial title of coach. So that's kind of nice. Nice. <laughs> I saw that they're going to sponsor the Sin Away stuff. Talk yeah. about talk before we go. Talk about a little bit what you're going to do with that with that platform now that that you don't have to maybe raise money for yourself. How are you going to raise money for something? Yeah. So with with, with Pocketot gracefully coming on, uh, we're we're going to wrap my Subaru uh, to to help pay for some of the travel costs. But it's uh, you know, last year the internet kind of or kind of the internet did in a way pay for my uh, trip to West Virginia uh, this year since I'm no longer going to need that with the added funding for uh, uh, the the transport costs to South Dakota, I figured uh, the best way to do it would be to, you know, contribute to a charitable organization uh, that helps out in the area around the, the school. So uh, kind of inspired by the everyday should be Saturday charity Bundy bowl in a way I'm going to do a little, uh, a little, donation competition when we get a month from Sanjay away. So this will be in September. Uh, we'll try to donate to, to, to feeding South Dakota, which is a, a food bank in, in the state of South Dakota. Uh, and obviously they have a uh, facility in rapid city. Uh, and with the game that I'm going to being in rapid city, I thought this was a, uh, a good way to have a, a cause besides just me uh, <laughs> figured people may be, a little more willing to, to pitch in. And my goal here is going to be to uh, encourage fans of all different schools to contribute. And I figure uh, when we get to the end of it, uh, we can find a way to contribute to the uh, school that contributed the most uh, to the send away fund and feeding South Dakota. So that'll be again in September when that comes up and I'll have more details. I'm still trying to iron out everything, but uh, looking forward to, contributing to a good cause this year. And it's kind of always been the vision for what Sinjay Way would turn into uh, somehow get funding for the trip. And then I can just raise money for the, uh, the communities, the programs are in, because I think uh, that's something that we forget about sometimes. Uh, so um, I'm, I'm really excited about the opportunity to do this now. I'm excited for you. It's going to be a lot of fun and that's a, that's a great way to do it. You could have just raised more money and put it in your pocket and you're doing, doing the right thing. Uh, so that that's going to be awesome. Maybe we can figure out a way to have a competition within the schools in the state or something and, and award, award the school with something. We can figure something out, tie Dave Campbell's machine into it as well. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get a little, it going. A re- Republic of football contest. There you go. I've thought about, yeah, we need to do, we got to create a little competition. I'm a competition guy. So you got to create a little competition there somewhere. Uh, I think that'll do it for us. Um, it's July 5th. We'll get this out by the 6th or the 7th. I'd imagine uh, maybe by the end of the day, who knows? I'm not, I'm not the one that does it and smarter people than me. Uh, go through and produce it and, and put it out there. Uh, and then we'll be back, not next weekend, but the week after that, or you know, Monday, Tuesday, somewhere in that range. Media Days is going to kind of uh, mess with the schedule for, for a few weeks. But we'll go every other week. And then I think in August, that first week of August, we'll just start back up once a week, and then you know, we'll be right there to go. So for Jay Arnold, Mike Craven for Aggie Warpod, Republic of Football, and Dave Campbell's Texas Football, talk to you next time.